Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, amen. Good morning. And uh, I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 today. Uh, it is a joy and a delight for me to be with you today. I am the president of the Baptist College of Florida, and it is our privilege to be your partner for Christian higher education in the state of Florida. And uh, such a joy to meet one of our graduates, who's your communication director, who just finished at the college last year. And uh, to see so many uh, in the house today as God's working at First Naples, what a joy to uh, hear of the good faith and good works happening here. And just know that your college is training this current generation and the next generation of Christian leaders across this state. We're training them in business and in education, as well as in Christian ministry, where we have nearly 200 currently studying to be full-time vocational Christian ministers in our churches across Florida, as well as in our psych and counseling department and in our music and worship department. So, hey, we're excited to partner with you, and I'm so glad to be here today. Well, Pastor Allen's been a friend of mine now for well more than a decade. We pastored in the same region there. I used to pastor in Orlando, and he was in Sanford. And so uh, it's just a joy to be with you. Well, we're continuing our series today. God wants you to be free. Jesus Christ died that you would be free. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus wants you to live in the freedom that he purchased on the cross through his shed blood. Now, he's made you positionally free when you received Jesus Christ and you trusted in him. You put your faith in him. You were positionally made free before the Father. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, you stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and him alone. And you are made whole positionally. Now, experientially, God wants to work the freedom that you've already experienced relationally with him, positionally with him, experientially in your life so that you could experience freedom in every area of your life. But most people are not free. Most believers, though they're free positionally, they're not really free experientially. In fact, we're not free from sin and addiction perversion, from fear and shame, despair, emptiness. We're not free from our past. We're not free from our pain. 
We're not free from our rebellion. And frankly, what we're going to be talking about today is we're just not free from insecurity. So the title of the message is simply Breaking Free from the Tyranny of Insecurity, and it is tyrannical. You say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, insecurity doesn't affect me. Well, before that bravado gets too far, you know, I grew up in a home with a mom and a dad and in the upstate of South Carolina. I'm from the South. Now, you may not have known that just immediately, (laughs) but I'm I'm from the South, and my parents uh, grew up very poor, both of my parents, and um, they uh, got a high school education and were very happy and proud to have that opportunity and didn't have the opportunity to go to college. My dad finished valedictorian in his class but he had no means or opportunity to go to college. And so, you know, our family had some success down through my growing up years, but my family kind of always kind of had a chip on its shoulder that we, we talk with this deep accent, we're country people, we don't have any education, we didn't have any money, didn't have any success. And so a lot of times we faced insecurity with a little bit of bravado. And it may be that the reason in your marriage you're, you're emotionally inaccessible is because there's an insecurity there that you're just not safe enough to deal with it. Maybe you're a pleaser and you've suppressed and hidden what's really in your heart about a lot of things because you're just not safe enough to deal with not pleasing somebody, so you just pretend. Or maybe you're an avoider. You're like, man, I don't, I don't want to get into, into any kind of conflict, so you're inaccessible. Or maybe you're a controller where you're just going to seek to control relationships and situations because to be out of control is not safe. Or maybe you're just a victim. Nobody will ever understand you. You see, all of these are different faces and images of insecurity that dramatically affect all of your relationships and dramatically affect your leadership. And it could be today that one of the main reasons you haven't thrown your shoulder into the work of God is because you just don't feel safe enough to do that. I mean, after all, what could you contribute to the work of God? not from what you've come from or not from who you are. How many of you ever played freeze tag growing up? Let me see your hands. Y'all know what I'm talking about where you, you, you run out in the playground and maybe you have one spot, maybe it's the tree out in the playground, that's base, right? And you run to base and as long as you're at base, you're free. Now, some of you may not have played freeze tag, but how many of you played baseball or softball? Let me see those hands. Now, y'all got to participate with me. Come on. All right, there you go. Great. Baseball gets its name because there are four places that you are safe. In fact, that's what the umpire says, isn't it? He either says you're out or you're safe. And in life, you've got your bases that you run to where you feel safe, where you believe you are safe. And the Bible teaches that there is only one place, ultimately, that you are to find your security, and that place is in Jesus Christ. And once you receive him as Lord and Savior, you are made secure. Now, you may not realize it. You might not appropriate it. And you may clutch the base like you're about to die. 
but Jesus had made you secure. And now what we hope to do today in these 38 short minutes is try to help you understand how that security works into every area of your life. Our text is in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, when Paul writes and says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and God is for us, friend, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you can deal with your insecurity three easy ways. First, you can just resign to it. Hey, you know what? That's what I am. I'm insecure. I don't think I've got a lot to offer. I'm not very smart. I'm, I'm not very pretty. I'm not very good at anything I do. I'm kind of just a failure, but I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad Jesus has saved me. But man, you know what? I'm just resigned to it. Don't expect much from me. Or you can kind of justify it. You can say, hey, you know, that's who I am. I'm going to lean into it. I'm just going to embrace the fact that I'm insecure. I'll never see the breakthrough in my life. That's who I am. Hey, you know what? I justify it. That's who I am. That's who I ought to be. Or you can face it with some determination, with a spirit-filled resolve that I'm going to live the free life God intended for me. And I'm going to see it in my marriage. I'm going to see it in my parenting. I'm going to see it in the ministry God's given me. I'm going to see it in every area of my life. And Paul in this text begins by confronting our insecurity. And that's what God does. God confronts our insecurity. God is not content with you living in this boundary of, of insecurity. And the writer of this text, the Apostle Paul, you may have this romanticized view of him that he never struggled with insecurity, that that's not something he could relate to. But friend, you are wrong if that's your view. When Paul ventured out on his missionary journeys, on his second missionary journey, when he arrived at Corinth in Acts chapter 18, the Lord met him at night and appeared to him and spoke with him. And said, Paul, do not be afraid. You know why God said that? Because Paul was afraid. In fact, we know from the text that he refused to preach in Corinth about Jesus. 
Now, he would go in the synagogue in verse 4 of Acts 18. We know he would go in the synagogue and he would talk about the coming Messiah, but he actually didn't preach Jesus until verse 5 when Timothy and Silas came to support him because Paul had already had a little bit of history. He had been stoned and left for dead. He had been beaten with rods and locked in the stocks. Paul had been smuggled out of the Thessalonica. I mean, it wasn't going well for Paul. And when he got to Corinth, he was afraid. And the Lord said, don't be afraid anymore. Don't be insecure. You are safe. I've got this. Open your mouth and speak. Don't be silent because I have many people in this city. If you wonder, Paul gives us a commentary about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He said, now, brethren, when I came to you, when I came to Corinth, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. Paul said, man, I wasn't bulletproof when I came down there to you. I didn't have that holy strut, that bravado. That had been knocked out of me. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul knew what it was like to deal with insecurity, and the Lord brought him through it. Listen, seasons come into our life that shake our security. You've been betrayed. A business partner. Your beloved, one of your adult children has broken your heart. The economy, a hurricane has destroyed what you own. I mean, you've been, you go through seasons, unexpected death in the family. And you've lost your security. You're not safe anymore. And because of that, your go has begun to slow. You witness not what it used to be. Man, there was a time you were bold as a lion. You know, if you go to Israel with your pastor, he'll take you to a couple of different places. He'll take you to Gethsemane, the Garden of the Olive Press. He'll take you to Galakantu, which is Caiaphas's house where Jesus was tried. And if you stand on the courtyard of Caiaphas's house and, and look across the Kidron Valley, you can see Gethsemane. Peter in Gethsemane drew his sword and tried to cut off Malchus's head. He missed and hit his ear. But when Peter made it to Galicantu, where Jesus was tried, and he warmed himself out there on that courtyard, he denied that he knew the Lord three times. Listen, fear has a way of getting into us. And the Lord confronted Paul to correct his insecurity. He confronted Peter to correct his insecurity and the Lord comes and confronts us right where we are and says, listen, I have made you secure. You don't have to live the way you're living. You can experience what I have saved you to experience in a far greater way. You see, not only does God confront our insecurity, but then he explains our security. He helps clarify to us 
from what root do we get our security? What's base for us when we need that security? And he really gives us four sources or four places that our security can be bolstered. He says, first of all, you need to look at the scripture. You need to hear God's word and you need to anchor yourself to God's word. Now, I'm going to make a statement to you that God's word is more sure and settled than anything you'll ever see or even feel. You see, the, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures forever. You can build your life on the word of God. And so you don't judge the word of God by your feelings. You judge your feelings by the word of God. You don't look at your, the word of God through your circumstances. You look at your circumstances through the word of God. The Bible says the Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me. I shall not want. You see, when he's your shepherd, you're complete now in him. Shalom. You're made whole. There is no want anymore. Our text in Romans 8 is adamant. In fact, if, if, if Romans 8 was a football game, they would get a flag for piling on. Paul here is explaining over and over and over again that there's no condemnation in Christ. That no one can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can. Who's going to bring a charge against you? Who's going to stand up and condemn you? Christ has died for you. You are made whole now. So trust in the word of the living God. The apostle Paul would say it like this in another text in Philippians 4. He would say, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but... But you've had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The word contentment used in this text it's a very interesting word. It was used of cities in antiquity. Now, in antiquity, the greatest threat you had if you were living in an urban environment in a city was a marauding army that would come and besiege the city. And so cities built walls so that when these armies would come and besiege the city, you could close yourself in those walls, fill in those gates... And you could hide in the city and be safe. Now, you needed two things to survive. You needed a water source and you needed a food supply inside the bounds of that city. And so if you had food in the city and you had water in the city, you were called a contented city. So you could stay there for years while the army was outside wanting to come in and you could 
You can have all you need, not only to survive, but to thrive. And Paul says, man, I've learned a secret. I've been through all kinds of situations. I've been abased. I've abound. I've been through lowly situations. I've been poor. I've been wealthy. I've been blessed. I've struggled. I've been sick. I've been healthy. And I have learned that no matter what the state is, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. Christ is the one who completes me. That's what the scripture teaches. So when you assess your situation, instead of being so negative about yourself, instead of feeling so vulnerable, why don't you trust what God says about you? Now my mentor was a man named Dr. Gray Allison. And he was the founding president of the seminary that I attended. And Dr. Gray Allison was also a, a bomber pilot in World War II. He flew B-25s in the Pacific Theater. And Dr. Allison would tell me that they actually lost more planes and more pilots because of pilot error in fog than they did to the Japanese. How many of you have driven in fog? Let me see your hands out there. It's not easy, is it? I mean, thank the Lord for all the re reflectors on the road. That's why they're there, for heavy rain and fog. When I was growing up in the upstate of South Carolina, we didn't have a lot of those reflectors. And when I first started driving many years ago, it was very difficult on those twisty two-lane roads when that fog would descend. It's, you, sometimes you'd go 25, 30 miles an hour just to drive through the fog. Well, these pilots were all instrument rated, and they were trained to trust their instruments. But what they would do is they would begin to have sensations that they were turning sideways or that they were flying a different direction and they would fail to trust their instruments. They would make adjustments and literally fly themselves into the ocean. Do you know that's how John F. Kennedy Jr. died? He flew himself and his two passengers into the ocean because he was not instrument rated. He trusted his feelings. Listen, God has given us his word. Trust the instruments when you're in the fog of life and the challenges of life. Believe what his word said about you. You are secure. Not only look into the scripture, but look at his spirit. Not just the scripture, but his spirit speaks to us as well. The Bible says in Romans 8 that you've got the spirit of Christ living inside of you. And Christ now secures you through his spirit. Your re regeneration leads you to sanctification. I know, sugar, it'll be over soon. Now, you just hang in there. I know the preacher's loud and you can't sleep. I get it. I know that. I'm doing that with more than you, I promise. But uh, um, you look at his spirit. Paul here goes through a long discourse about how the Spirit of Christ now lives in you. And he's given you the Spirit whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's the Spirit of Christ who has made you whole. He's transformed you. You see, the non-physical part of you, your soul, your spirit, and, and friend, you have a non-physical part. You're not just blood and marrow and flesh and bone. You've got a soul. And the Spirit of the living God lives in your soul now. He's made you alive. He brought you out of death to life. And now he wants to live that out. 
He secures you completely. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus would say, when they bring you before the magistrates and you're called to give an answer for your faith, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in that moment. The Spirit sets you free from fear. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The Spirit that lives inside of you is striving to set you free. Now, look to His Spirit. And trust Him. Follow Him. We live about 50 miles north of Panama City now. That's where the main campus of the college has been for about 70 years. We're starting other campuses and sites and down on the peninsula, but that's where we've been for some time. And a few weeks ago, we traveled down to Panama City to eat dinner. And we were eating a dinner there at a seafood restaurant right on the beach, on the ocean. And they had this uh, dock out there. And we noticed that the birds were just circling and, and gulls and pelicans and everything down on the end of the dock. But there were no birds up the dock at all. I got to looking and I realized what it was. They had placed some of those fake owls. Y'all seen these before, these wooden owls? They had placed them on posts down through there. And the birds just would not mess with them. They were all down on one end because they were afraid of all these out. These things are fairly impressive, apparently, to the bird world. They don't want to mess with one of them. It's just a little wooden thing and about that tall. And they, were, they were all fighting over the same food down here when there was plenty of food up here. But they would not come that way because of those fake out. And I sat there and I thought, that's how a lot of believers live. Satan has put some fake owls in your life to scare you away. And you don't have the courage to deal with your own insecurity. You're just not safe enough to address the marriage issues you have, to walk through some of the parenting fears that you have, to deal with some of the past that's still got its hands around your neck and choking the life out of you, the failure you've been through, and Satan has put up these fake things in your life to scare you off from it. You can have victory in it. You can have it this year. This year, you can be set free and break free from it. Look to his sovereignty as well. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, that great verse that says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose, those who love God. Listen, God's working things together for good. God has a plan for your life. And I may have thought growing up in, a, in kind of a, a family that grew up poor, undereducated, without much opportunity was not the place that God would forge a university president. But that's what God does. God in his sovereignty does beautiful things and he can take things that you thought were bad in your life and he can work them together and do great things in and through your life. Now, I've done a lot of prison ministry down through my ministry. And now, there's a difference between jail and prison. If you don't know the difference, you're probably blessed. But there's a difference between jail and prison. 
And prison ministry is a challenging ministry. And there, there's a bit of a tradition in the prisons. How many of you like to read fiction? Let me see your hands out there. You guys like fiction books? And, hey, well, fiction is very popular in prison. And so the librarian in the library, when they get a new fiction book, especially one that's from a noted author that's in series and so forth, it's a big deal. And, and so the, the clients have, have made application to try to be the first one to read the book. And they're on a waiting list. And when the book comes in and you get the book, there's a bit of a tradition, and it's a mean tradition. The first one to read the book, when they complete they will tear out two, maybe three pages out of the book. The two or three pages that turn the narrative more than anything else. Just to confound and infuriate the others who are going to read the book. That's painful, isn't it? When you get to this part of the story and you're finally going to tell you, okay, what's going to happen? What's going to Oh. You don't even know, and it's shrouded in mystery. And so what a, what a challenging way to try to read a, a story. Well, friend, for you today, it may seem like that's what your life's been recently. Like, like you, you can't possibly see how God's going to turn this for good. And you can, you can read the narrative of your life and you're like, now, how, how, how is this going to be good? This is not good. This is painful. You've been betrayed. You've lost a marriage. You've had a broken heart in your home, a failure, your church, whatever. Well, that's, that's the story of Joseph. Joseph's like, how could this be good? When he was 17 years old, he was sold as a slave to Egypt and carried to Egypt, and you know the story. When he's 31, he finally ascends to Pharaoh's house, and he gets married, and he names his first child Manasseh, which means forgetting. I'm forgetting my father's household. I'm putting behind me that vision, all of those things God said that was going to happen in my life. I mean, that vision had been totally crushed in Joseph's life after 14 years of life he said I'm forgetting it I'm moving beyond it and when he's 39 his brothers would come and fulfill the vision that God gave him when he was 17 they would bow down before him and the Bible says Joseph would remember God has a sovereign plan for you you don't know what it is 2007, I was pastoring in Orlando, and we had experienced four years of incredible revival in our church. In fact, in the last two years of four months before 2007, we had seen 1,200 people saved. It was a movement of God. We had people everywhere on our campuses, and our facilities were full, and it was um, incredible. But 07 turned out to be a difficult year we had conflict in the church we had people get mad there were some people that didn't like me 
Now, I can hear you gasping, but that's true. There are people that didn't like me, and um, it was just a tough time. My mother had lung cancer that year. Linda and I had been trying to have our third child for 10 years, and we got pregnant, and it was so thrilling, and then we lost the baby. I mean, it was just, it seemed like every week there was something hard and I started at the end of that year I was so discouraged I just I started inter- encouraging pastors because I was so discouraged and because I started encouraging pastors some of the other pastors ended up electing me as president of the state conventions pastors conference to encourage pastors across the state and And then because of that, I got to be your pastor's friend and really started encouraging him. And and, and now I'm the president of the university, of the college, because I got to know all these pastors. But it really came out of that root of that tough year. I had no idea that God would use that to give me a ministry with others. But the Bible says, blessed be God who comforts us in our affliction that we may comfort others who have the same affliction. It may seem like there's a page in your book that's been torn out. God's not finished yet. Trust in his, look at his sovereignty and then finally look at the saints. Let the saints be a source of encouragement to you. The Bible says in Acts 18 that Paul waited for Timothy and Silas. And when they came, he was encouraged. Think about that word encouraged. God puts courage in you. And it may be your spouse who helps you be able to break free through some of this insecurity. Let me just tell you frankly that Linda and I have been married 32 years. And in the last six or seven years, we've had big breakthroughs in our marriage. Now, we've had a great marriage tremendous but there was some insecurity that I needed to deal with and Linda would encourage me in that and we would talk about it and I would refuse to deal with it It was hard and when I started dealing with my own insecurity where I would self-protect and not feel safe and we started having a level of communication and intimacy that was major breakthrough and it impacted not only my relationships but my leadership as well The saints of God make a difference. In 2007, I was preaching in the book of Exodus at the end of the year, this awful year. It was the first time I preached after the uh, miscarriage or we lost our baby. And uh, I was in Exodus 17, which if you read the book of Exodus, you're going to find out that nobody ever encouraged Moses until Exodus 17. Now, Zipporah had a part there back in Exodus 4, but that's another story. I'll let y'all read that one. But in Exodus 17, Aaron and her were on the mountain and they decided they're going to hold up his arms. Y'all remember the story? And they had great victory because they supported Moses. And I told the church that night, I just need some folks who will encourage me. And I told a story about Canadian geese, how Canadian geese honk at the lead goose. And People have studied them, and they've determined it's really just to encourage the lead goose. And one of the ladies in the church, she's sitting down here on the second row, she, in the middle of the sermon, she went, Honk! (laughs) 
And then a few others behind her started going, honk. Before long, the whole church was doing that like a bunch of crazy people. Honk, honk, honk. And still to this day, I'll just get a text from somebody that just says, honk. You know what that, man, it brings tears to my eyes. Thank you. When your pastor gets back, when he gets back and gets up to preach, when he starts talking, everybody just go, honk. Okay, y'all just do that. He won't have a clue what it is. It'll be hilarious. Just support somebody. Dr. Adrian Rogers used to tell a story about walking across the frozen Mississippi River and hearing a crack, hearing another crack. Before long, you're down on your knees. Before long, you're on your face, just crawling. But then you look up and you see a team of horses pulling a sled of timber, logs, come down across the ice and trample right next to you as you're down on your face and go over the other side and you think, Oh, maybe I am safe here on this ice. And some of you, some of you in the faith are maybe, you're, you're trampling with those logs behind you. You're really enjoying your faith. But others of you down on your face today, like you're hearing cracks, you're not sure about it all. God has secured you. Amen. Get around some people that'll strengthen your faith, that'll strengthen your life. You're safe in Christ. See, God explains our security, and then finally, he sustains our security. And I've got to close here. He sustains it. This entire chapter is a recitation of all of our privileges and our standing before God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. The spirit of life now has set you free. The Spirit of Christ now dwells in you. You've been given the Spirit whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. You've been adopted into His family, never to be separated from Him to, again. Your body will be redeemed. God will finish the work He started in your life. The Holy Spirit prays for you according to the will of God. All things work together for good for those who love God. You've been predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. He will finish what He started in you. You've already been justified. You've been glorified. If God before you, who can stand against you, friend? God's going to finish what he started in you. You are secure. Some of you are running to your net worth to get security. It will never secure you. Some of you are running to your health. Your health is going to fail one day. Some of you are running to your wealth. Some of you are running to your beauty and you're trying everything you can to perform to get some security. Your security is only in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then you'll find out what it means for the Lord to be your shepherd. <sighs> I'll never be in want. Shalom. I'm, it. I'm made whole now. And I can deal with my issues because I'm safe. I can experience all God has for me and my family. Some of you will be the first in your family. Some of you will be the first on your street, the first in your class. You will be the first to be set free, and God will then start setting other people free through you. You'll be the example. 
There was a lanky, little bit awkward-looking fella in 1968 from Oregon who decided he would compete in the high jump. He qualified for the Olympics and made the Olympics in the high jump. And when he first approached the bar in those Mexico City Olympics, he did something no one had ever done before. He jumped across that bar backwards. Instead of going face first and feet first, he made that little, have you, have you ever watched this before? He made that strange little woo, ran up and jumped backwards. It's called the Fosbury Flop. His name is Fosbury. He was the first to ever do it. He set the world record and won the gold medal. And from that day to today, everyone who has done the high jump has used his technique. And now the world record gets higher and higher every year. Everybody in your family, they've been jumping across that bar face first until you go and you experience the freedom God's intended for you. And they're going to see the difference. And you're going to be able to share with them. It's not me. It's Christ. Now, who'll be the first? Who'll be the first? It may look awkward at first. It may surprise them. But God will use you to change many. I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a moment. Friend, are you free? Have you been set free from your sin, from insecurity? You'll never be safe until you know Christ. We invite you today to come. Come to Jesus. Some of you, you're, you're believers, you need a breakthrough in your life. You don't serve the Lord like you should because you're not safe. You're not free of this insecurity. And you've been trying to perform to get God to like you, trying to, you know, be better. When God has made you whole already, live it out. Trust the instruments. Let these saints of God help you. Father, pour out your spirit today in lives and hearts. Draw people to yourself that they would be saved, that they would grow in their faith and experience the breaking free freedom that you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing and worship together. Lead us, brother. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.